This week on the OneCast, we're joined by Bassmaster Opens Angler of the Year and Bassmaster Elite Series Qualifier, JT Tompkins. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, son. It's a f***ing toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day. What is going on, OneCast fans? I got to look at Trey, uh, you know, because he likes to jump in there and steal the spotlight <laughs> from time to time. So just making sure uh, that he didn't do that. Uh, we're really excited this week. We have JT Tompkins. You know, he was the uh, angler of the year in the Opens this past year, qualified for the Elite Series via the Opens. Uh, you know, the first year they had to fish all nine. Uh, so interesting to hear his take on that uh, and, and kind of how different that was. Uh, so we're just waiting for him to join. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, sponsors and all that stuff we usually do. So make sure you head to onecastfishing.com. Use the code the OneCast at checkout. Save some money. Get your snagless jigs, weedless neds, long neck hooks, uh, soft plastics, all of that good stuff. Uh, support those that support us there. Uh, Trey, what you got? Well, I'm just happy to be in the studio, man. Like it's been a heck of a week. We've had a lot of storms roll through uh, the East Coast. So, you know, first and foremost, we want to, we want to, you know, we hope everyone is safe out there. Uh, I know there's a lot of storm damage that happened from the the high winds and the significant amount of rain that we got. So, um, but yeah, man, I'm just happy to be in studio. Show season's going on. So if you don't get your snaggles jigs, weedless nets, and all those other, uh, you know, perfect baits from One Cast Fishing, you can see One Cast Fishing in a lot of the shows in Knoxville. Raleigh's coming up, but this will air after the fact. And um, yeah, so yeah. this weekend he'll be in Richmond. So if yep. you're in the Richmond area, you can swing through there, check out Ben. Uh, I'll be there Saturday. Uh, Trey won't be able to make it up for that one, unfortunately. And then the following weekend, he will be uh, one cast fishing. Will be over at Knoxville for that show. Yeah, uh, and I think Trey and I are going to be at an event in Virginia. That possible we may like, be there. Sounds like we might be there. Yeah, we'll push that out if we're going to make it to to that. That will be the Angler's Choice uh, Open House in in Martins Martinsville, Virginia. Martinsville, yeah, that's right. So hopefully we can make it up to that. We're gonna we're gonna make sure the logistics and everything work out uh, and uh, try to get up there. But yeah. So Ben's there. That's why he's not here today. He's setting up at Raleigh. Uh, it was busy. Today was was setup day one. So a lot of folks try to get up there and get in, get everything done, and then traffic and all that. So he wasn't able to make it tonight. Uh, so you get just us two schmucks running around. That's right. That's right. AT and uh, all of that good stuff. So uh, Trey, you want to? Yeah. Uh, so you know, uh, uh, you know, we get a lot of messages. I get a lot of friends that you know, like yourself, Pete. Like you're getting ready to you know, potentially jump into a new job, look at establishing yourself and, and digging some roots here in the North Carolina area, spe specifically the Sand Hills. And so, you know, we, we got a great partner on board with us, uh, and that's Eric Schwinn at Mossy Oak Properties. And so, Pete, and to everybody, if you're dreaming, dreaming of owning your own slice of nature's beauty, look no further than Eric Schwinn with Mossy Oak Properties, your premier land agent for finding the perfect land to call your own, serving the Fort Liberty, what used to be called Fort Bragg area, whether you're seeking a tranquil getaway, a hunting spot, or you just love to live with that beautiful scenery, he's going to have the ideal piece of land uh, waiting for you. They got a wide vari uh, variety of properties featuring, featuring landscapes, rolling hills, pristine waterways, and abundance of wildlife. Eric's also committed to helping you guys find the perfect place to build your dreams. Uh, whether you're an avid outdoorsman enthusiast, a nature lover, or simply just looking to escape, uh, that that busy city life or whatever the case may be, he's going to help you match uh, that dream and make that vision come true. So don't miss out on the opportunity to take your own piece 
of Paradise. Contact Eric Schwinn, Mossy Properties of the Sandhills today to make your dream of owning land a reality. So you can contact him at area code 936-494-9686 or email him at E-S-C-H-W-I-N-D at MossyOakProperties.com. That's eschwind at mossyoakproperties.com. Everything is linked in the description. So check him out. We're happy to have him on board. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited to have Eric on board. I'm going to be hitting him up here uh, pretty soon uh, to start that, that uh, house hunt in this great market. So you <laughs> know, I'm super excited about high interest rates and uh, blown out home prices and all that good but stuff. But you know, man, like there's no better investment. And no. maybe we can talk to JT about this, or maybe he's not at this point yet, but you know, there's no better investment than owning dirt. Yep. You know, absolutely. and that's really where uh, you can leave a legacy behind and, and, you know, and if you keep waiting, you're just going to hurt yourself, man, it's, run, it's definitely it's, possible. Uh, it's dynamic, but Eric, you know, is, is, an, is on top of all that stuff. So if, even if you have questions, if you're not hundred percent sure, you know, reach out to Eric, he can answer any questions you might have about real estate, land purchase, all of that good stuff. I yep. am ready to go fishing. Yep. I'm ready to go Trey's fishing. Been too. Out. I have not, <laughs> uh, all of our lakes, even Harris is blown out right now. I drove past it today, uh, this morning on my way to work and it's, it is chocolatey from is all it? the rain that we go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. man. I all that runoff chocolated it up. Jordan last I looked was almost six feet high. It'd come up four feet since yesterday. Mm. Uh, so she's blown out, which falls will be blown out Taylor. We got a, a significant amount of rain yesterday, uh, during that winter storm. So if y'all are listening, I'm sure you saw that come up down the coast. So anybody affected by any of that, uh, we hope you're doing okay. I know there were some tornadoes uh, in Florida and stuff. So hopefully right. hopefully you were able to avoid any uh, any major losses. Uh, I know we got lucky. We just had some high winds and, and stuff like that. But I'm still standing. Trey's everything's still standing. We're all working. Right. We're here going to talk to JT. Uh, Trey, you got anything you want to cover before we bring him on? No, let's bring him on and talk fishing, man. Let's do it. JT, you got us, bud. I do. I got you. Good. I know. I I saw your your message. I had it on my do not disturb. So I was like, if he messaged me, I got to go check. And I guess he said you had download an app or something. So yeah, let me go through the just the far the first time, and then when I went to go enter back, it said you got to download the app because it's not available. So I had to go download the app. Real quick. <laughs> that must be like brand new because I don't remember seeing that before. But that's good to know. Now we know moving forward to let constant let changes, know, man. So we get constant to changes. we get to learn, but. JT, super excited to have you on. Why don't you take a minute uh, to introduce yourself to anybody who might not know who you are? Yeah, so as you heard, JT Tompkins, and I am a rookie on the Bassmaster Elite Series. I was the previous year's AOI champion, and basically I've been fishing my entire life, and it's what I plan to do for the rest of my life, and that's basically, that's about it. That's not all. That's not all of it, JT. And I'll tell you, when I was sitting at work today, I was pulling all your stats and you got a 2022 victory that puts you that that was your classic birthright. So you got to fish your first Bassmaster Classic in 2023, which you finished 24th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, dude, you have a lot of accolades in a short period of time. But, uh, you know, it, it, is it kind of weird to I know you, as in the organization, you're called a rookie, but you've been fishing your whole life. Does it seem like you're going to change anything? Does it really seem rookie-ish to you? Rookie-ish? Is that a word? Nah, it can be. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, in the fishing aspect, I don't feel like a rookie. But when it comes to – because the thing is that people don't understand, like, when you make it to the elites, it's like 33% fishing, 33% like – endorsing sponsors and learning 
the ropes of that type of stuff. And the other third is like planning, organizing and all that stuff. So all of those other 66% is just as important as the fishing side. And that's one thing I've had to learn recently is getting all my stuff in order. So that way I can fish and be the most effective in that amount of time. But, and the planning sponsors and all those certain, you know, avenues, I definitely feel like a rookie. It is my mm-hmm. first year. I definitely am feeling the growing pains. It's all a very big learning experience for me, but it's definitely, you know, exciting. And I'm looking forward to learning it the more and more as we go. So that's a good, that's a good way to push it, put it like 33.3% yeah. repeating is just fishing. And then the rest is getting to know the organization, the logistics, the challenges, the ins and outs and stuff like that. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Like when you, when you talk to, cause Maddie brought up the same challenges in his rookie years, figuring out how to balance fish, fishing sponsors, those kind of obligations and not burning yourself out too much to the point where you don't, it's not that you don't want to fish, but you know, you're leaving yourself short in the tank and, and, you know, performance and stuff lacks there. So, uh, it seems to be, you know, the biggest, uh, the biggest hurdle before we go too far. And I, I want to talk about, you know, the first year of the opens qualifying where you had to fish all nine. It was obviously different than in the past, but, um, did you, you, you know, you've been around fishing for a while. You fished both, you know, the two major circuits and in in MLF, you fish stuff, you fish bass opens and things before. Did you, did you know, cause a lot of times when you talk to folks, they feel like when you qualify for the elite series, all of these sponsors are going to come calling. And I, and I don't that, you know, that's not the reality. Did you, were you kind of realistic and know that that wasn't going to be the case or in the back of your mind, did you think that some of that was just going to fall into place just because you qualified? So I was always, you know, I grew up, my dad grew up in the area of fishing. He fished the tour and, you know, back then if you won tournaments, sponsors did come calling it. It was a different aspect, but now it's like to this part where it's a lot of social media, a lot of being there for a while, relationships and stuff like that. So my dad, all me and my dad were thinking that if I won Angler Year, you know, I get a lot more sponsor calls and, you know, all this stuff. And, and I really did think I'd get a lot more calls than I did. And then also another thing that I learned was just because you get a call doesn't mean it's going to turn out to anything. You know, I had a lot of people call and, you know, say we're going to work and, and do certain things for next year and not come through. So that was another learning experience for me was, you know, understanding how to navigate these these different sponsors and, you know, how to work out the best deals and stuff like that. So all of it was definitely new to me this year and what did come up as a little bit of surprise because... I didn't get like next year. I don't. I don't have a title sponsor next year. I'm gonna be. I mean, the rap's gonna be a introduction whenever I get that done. I'd like to make a video about it and some stuff. But like, I don't even have a title sponsor next year. I have a lot of smaller sponsors that I was already had small relationships with that I already believed in that just stepped up a little more because I could, you know, make it to the elite series. And I'm super appreciative for those guys. But um, no. I mean, it was definitely. Like you said, it's it's not the reality. Catching fish does not catch sponsors. Mm. You know, it's social media. It's it's the getting out there, working trade shows, and doing a lot of other you know extracurricular activities other than bass fishing that really attracts the sponsors. Because everybody gets out there and catches fish in the elite series. You have to set yourself apart in a lot of other ways, and that's one thing I'm going to be working on this year and years to come. Hmm. Well. If you can, well, first of all, you're not very far from us. Um, so I want to rewind just for a second, but I do have something to talk about with extracurricular activities. Um, where'd you cut your teeth at in, in this, in this fishing world? So it had to be the Winyaw Bay. I mean, I grew, I mean, 
I now have, we have a house on the river. So it was the Winyaw Bay, Waccamaw, Red Bluff, you know, Little PD, Big PD, Santee River, Black River, all these little rivers that come off of the, you know, the main intercoastal waterway that I live on. That's where I grew up learning how to fish. You know, I, I grew up fishing out of a 14 foot John boat with a 40 Yamaha tiller handle on the back of it and fishing in, you know, I didn't even know what a depth finder was until I was probably 15, 16 years old, really. And that's kind of how I grew up fishing was dirt shallow with top water and maybe a flipping stick if you got really fancy with it. So that's kind of where I grew up, you know, learning. And then, of course, I, I, I started traveling pretty young. You know, around that time, 14 to 16, I, I did start learning a lot of the ins and outs of the industry when it comes to bass fishing. Started traveling, you know, the FLW tour as a co-angler back my dad started fishing the tours as a pro, actually. And we started just fishing, you know, just growing growing our roots to other areas and, mm-hmm. and learning different learning different things. And that's kind of what progressed me to where I'm at now. Okay. Yeah. So you're, how long did your dad fish the uh, FLW tour for? He fished one year as a co-angler, and then he qualified for the elites, or not the elites, he qualified for the FOW tour through the co-angler section and then he fished for two years on the FOW tour as a pro and then he stepped down to fish the ovens with me okay so you grew up with fishing in your blood um did you when you graduated high school was it full-fledged fishing or did you go on to any sort of uh you know civilian or continuing education or what no I mean even in high school I was rarely in school I mean I was I was flying out all the time to go to FOW tour events as a co-angler, marshalling at different places. And basically from 16 to 18, I was I was just as much out of school as I was in school traveling and, you know, trying to make this work and trying to, you know, chase a dream. And I think that's what's got me where I am now was, you know, those early steps of doing, going the extra mile that my parents were allowing me to be able to do. And that's kind of where I think got me here. I got to be honest, man. I'm super jealous of yeah. you. I uh, really wish that uh, somebody would have let me not go to school for the last couple that, of years. That's like a whole training program. <laughs> yeah, you know, dude. That, that's, really, that's really cool. I mean, obviously, we're not going to condone not going to school yeah. a whole bunch to go fishing unless it's a training. Pr- like, you had a very specific reason. You knew what you wanted to do, and you knew in order to get there, there were things that you – there were steps you had to take. There were things you had to learn. Um and you're, you know, you're a little bit younger than us, uh, but now there's so much with the high school BSS stuff and then into college and all that where, where there's some more opportunities there where you may not have to miss as much school. You can get around and learn, but learning from guys fishing the FLW tours, pros or marshalling, um, yep. you know, I, I've never marshaled or done any of that. I'm actually going to marshal a, a uh, the elite event on Murray this year. I signed up to do just because it's something I've always wanted to do. And I'm like, you know what, if I just keep waiting, I'm never going to do it. So go down ride you know ride and see see how those guys work now i've been in, in boats with some elite series guys not fishing tournaments and seeing how they operate but to to see you know it's a you're at a different level like you said everybody there can catch them like all hundred and what's what's qualified there's 102 all any of those oh. guys can take your lunch money right like <laughs> so it's uh it, you know i'm sure there's a whole different it's still fishing but there's a whole different preparation process like you were talking about so you qualified this year through the Opens, one angler of the year in the Opens, which is a heck of an accomplishment when you're thinking probably the hardest 200 and some boats every, yeah, 200 some boats every tournament, uh, 100 and I can't remember exactly how many EQ, you know, qualifiers fish this year. It was 100 and 
well over a hundred. Um, all of them vying for the same thing. They took the you know the top nine guys in points, uh, top nine anglers in points, and you you finished at number one on that. Uh, how many years before this year have you fished opens events? Were you just fishing one division, or did you fished all of them before? So, I the year before I fished was my first year fishing all nine. So not this year, but the year before I fished all nine, and the year before that I think I fished two divisions, and that's when I first started. I fished the Southerns and the Northerns, and then the next year I decided to fish all nine, and then the next year is when I qualified. And um, that's kind of the route that I took with the Bass Opens, and that's what I, I feel like the fishing the nine but year before and getting to learn how to travel on my own and fish a lot of tournaments on my own was what gave me the experience to do as good as I did this year too. So I was going to say, yeah, you had you had a little bit of an advantage versus some of that field just by having that, you know, fishing all nine experience. Some of those folks, this was the first time, you know, they'd been trying to qualify, maybe fishing one or two divisions, which are usually close to home, relatively speaking. Like you said, fishing the north and the, the south, you didn't have to travel super, super far for those events. Uh, you know, obviously it was a little bit different this year with all nine. Um, so, you know, you had a year to kind of settle into the travel schedule. Uh, you really feel like that was advantageous to you coming into this year then to, you know, having to fish all nine to qualify. For sure. I mean, I learned a lot about, you know, travel, like another big part of bass fishing is being comfortable. And I learned, you know, I got my camper for my first year last year, not last year, but the year before last when I fished all nine and understanding how to travel, understand how to book campgrounds and learning different responsibilities. And then also getting your camper set up completely that way you don't have to waste any extra time on the road doing that. There's a lot of little things that necessarily doesn't help you, but it, it all put together. It definitely helped me, you know, be a better angler last year. And, and you know, it was definitely a good decision to fish all nine that year. So when you look at the, um, and, and this is going to tie into the extracurricular activities. So I haven't forgotten about that question, but, uh, you know, a lot of people have a misconception that, you know, bass anglers, uh, fishing professional tour, uh, just fish. Right. And you talked about working shows and stuff like that. Um, do you do, are you employed with any business outside of working for sponsors and, or anything like that? No, not right now. I'm fully self-employed when it comes to bass fishing and stuff like that. And then of course I have my obligations to my sponsors. Like, you know, we're doing some stuff for, you know, one of my sponsors is GSM outdoors, which is Kuda tools, Yamamoto, Bill Lewis and steel shad. And we have, you know, when I go to Texas, I'm going to be doing some stuff with those guys. You know, I'm going to go meet with Skeeter Boats because they're my new boat sponsor this year and motor sponsor mm -hmm. with the Omaha. So definitely also I got to, you know, I have a lot of responsibilities this year when it comes to, you know, these are responsibilities I put on myself, but I'm going to be, you know, getting an entire new camera set up for my boat. And then I'm going to be doing a full-time YouTube channel and trying to get up as much content as I can to be able to help my sponsors the best way possible. So, so that's kind of. Oh, go keep going, man. Sorry. No, that I was just saying that's kind of what my job entails of this year, basically. Okay, so um, when you, when you talk about extracurricular activities, like what? So because I, let, let's let's look at this from every angler for the most part that's on you know the tours. Like every one of them is a lot of them are coming on board with the YouTube channels. A lot of them are doing the social. The the kind of, they're being forced to do that, right? Like it's not. It's not like you just have a, I mean, unless you're like, you know, KVD or something and even he's doing social media stuff. Yeah. But so w when you talk about like setting yourself apart, how do you do that 
in an industry where it's really tough, right? How do you do that in an industry where everyone's baseball card essentially looks the same now? Yeah, and that's that's the really hard part about the industry is it's when it comes to the fishing side, it's almost impossible to set yourself apart from a lot of the other guys because we have nine tournaments a year and the unknowns in bass fishing are so like drastic that it's hard to set yourself apart guaranteed every single year back to back to back back to back and be able to present that to sponsors and say, you can't go to a sponsor and be like, Hey, I'm going to win three tournaments this year. <laughs> like yeah. it's just really difficult to do. Like we've never, we've never seen an angler other than maybe Jacob Wheeler be able to call his shots on how he's going to do throughout a year and stuff like that. And so when you take that, that aspect out of, you know, presenting the sponsors, you got to go to numbers that you think, that you can, you know, have facts behind when that comes to YouTube views, you know, you know, impressions, just like how many impressions do you get on YouTube? How many impressions do you get on TikTok? How many impressions do you get on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be. And that's the numbers you got to come to these sponsors with because they don't really care how many, like if you place a certain rank every single tournament, that's not what's going to sell them products. What's going to sell the products is either going to these shows and being present being involved and putting and being able to like in person put these products in front of people and sell them as a salesman or be entertaining to the point where people want to gravitate towards you and associate themselves with you like we see with ben millick and kvd and a lot of those people especially greg hackney you know you know they're such you know likable people they have they do such good jobs at what they do that whenever they come out with a product whether it's good or not People are going to gravitate towards it and buy it just because they want to have a piece of what those guys have. Yeah. And they they all come out with great products. I'm not saying they come out with great products. They don't come out with great products. I'm just saying that no matter what they come out with, there's going to be a certain amount of people that pay for it just so they can get a piece of relation with that yeah. guy. Like, hey, I'm throwing the same bait as Ben Milliken. I'm throwing the same bait as KVD. I'm, be, I'm flipping the same jig as you know Greg Hackney using the same rod, whatever it may be. And that's what you got to build for yourself, whether it be through a YouTube video and, you know, other social media aspects. But it's really hard to do that by just winning every single tournament. Because, of course, if you win all nine tournaments and the Classic, people are going to want to do yeah. what you're going to do. <laughs> well, I mean, if you can do that, man, that would be the first yeah. time in history, right? Yeah. So, you know, we just had – we had a local, like a regional local pro uh, in our last episode. And he talked a lot about a lot of the same things. And, we, you know, we kind of – for anybody listening or trying to, to show the importance that it's not necessarily about the brand as much as it is about your brand. You need to be able to plug whatever brand or company or whatever it is that wants to sponsor you provide, provide that into your brand and then use your brand to sell their brand. I know it, it sounds confusing, but it's, it's a game not. of Thrones, but yeah, it's a game of Thrones, but your brand as an angler is really what is selling now. Like talking to how he had been doing it for 40 years back in the day, meet somebody and say, well, how many tournaments you win this year? And you say three and they go, okay, well we can do this. And that's what mattered because that sold, it was a different, it was a different time than it is now. And, you know, like you said, folks like Milliken uh, and, and some others have built, built their brands and, and people associate with that. And then we, I try to explain to people. And another thing I want to get across to our listeners and you brought it up, generational talents can't be, should not be what you try to measure yourself against stuff like KVD jacob wheeler those are generational talents those are guys that that are just they're at the top of the game like everybody at that but then there's a a little bit of a step above that where there's they just do things that other other folks can't do 
and it's not it's not taken away from anybody. I mean, Jay, you know, to qualify is is unbelievable to be able to fish with those guys. Twenty second uh, in your first classic appearance, like clearly, you know, you you can hang with the, with the big boys, but like those generational talents, you can't you can't compare everybody else to folks like that because that's just not something that's that's repeatable long term. If you look at before KBD, guys like Rick Clun back in the seventies, Bill Dan, you know, those guys were were there early on did things that weren't done again until KVD came along. And then he kind of pushed past that. Now you have Wheeler doing his thing uh, and and whoever might be the next one. It might be JT. It could be Joey. It could be some of these other folks that, you know, that are having really good years. Um, so I appreciate that you brought that up. Like it's almost the, 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 not the, the other anglers almost have to grind more. Everybody thinks it's just going to fall into place. And that really isn't the case. I look at it like this though. You're all, if you like, no one will ever be the 2023 Bassmaster Open Angler of the Year ever, right? You're the only one. Yep. Every time you win a tournament, you will always make history with every time you fish a tournament. You always make history with every trade show you go to, with every time you work with a sponsor. Like you are making history. I think it's important to harness and capture all of those data points for sponsors and be like, listen, like, I'm building my brand to support you, like Pete said, but you know, there, I, I think, and you're right, like everyone wants to compare the the current generation with the previous generation. Like that's not fair because you just made history this year where no one else is ever going to make it again, right? Like it's every single tournament is different um, and somebody wins and no one can ever take that away from them. Um, but talking about that, because it is, you know, when you look at jumping into the industry, whether or not you're fishing, but, or, or whatever else, it's a, it's a risk. It's a risky business, right? Just like everything we do is risky. Um, are you like, when you look at your long, if you, everyone asks it, like, what's your five year plan? You know, if you look at your long-term plan, like, what are you trying to do now besides extracurricular stuff to set you up for success in the future? Are you looking at like, 401ks and Roth IRAs and other in, in life insurance policies and things like that. Like no one really talks about that kind of stuff in the fishing industry. I think this is the first time I've ever asked it on the show, but are you doing anything like that to set yourself up in case, you know, cause you got to make the cut line every, every year, right? For sure. So, I mean, I, you know, my, I've been very blessed to have the family that I have and for them to give the opportunities that they've given me. And, you know, basically for the first time, first three or four years that I was fishing, they told me that, you know, I, they would cover every single bit of the expenses and every single dollar I win would go to me. And that able, that enabled me to get a good bit of money set aside and, you know, money market, which is drawing 5% right now. And then also, you know, we have, I've bought, we bought some rental properties that I have that I'm getting, you know, engineers on right now that are trying to get me some, you know, secondary income that I don't got to exactly be a part of to be able to take in from so between mineral properties you know money market money that's going to be drawing a certain amount of money every every month and then also just making plans for the future to keep building it and make sure that the money keeps growing you know i got a lot of different stuff going on that i'm trying to work on but definitely you know i got to make sure i got to get this fishing stuff you know youtube you know sponsors and and getting that stuff growing so i can also the rental properties and the, you know, the money market growing because you can't, you can't get a rental property with no money. That's right. You can't get. 
you can't draw enough money five you can't draw enough money when the money marks at five percent if you don't got a dollar in there. Yeah, man. That's so I'm super glad I'm super glad you said that, you know, um and that's you know, we got some young young guys that have been on the show too and you know uh, looking at what's going to be a passive income opportunity and investment opportunity and stuff, because, you know, you've seen, or you've heard, uh, I've heard, I haven't seen, you know, multiple guys file bankruptcy and lose their homes or lose their relationships with their families because they're willing to risk it all. Um, but if you do it, maybe a better way, not the right way. I don't think there's a right and wrong answer, but you do a better way, kind of like what you're talking about you can set yourself up for some form of stability Whereas, if you do end up getting cut, you know, uh, like our good buddy, Matty was on that line this year and thank goodness he requalified, but that could have changed his entire trajectory in life, but he's also a smart businessman outside of the fishing world. Right. So, um, is that something you learned throughout your, like your training essentially? Cause you have been a trained yeah. angler dude, which is pretty cool. Did you learn that as you were growing up into this world, into this industry? Yeah. So my family has always been really smart with money and they've always done a very good job at making sure that the, they keep money growing. And, you know, they've always understood that aspect of stuff really, really well. And that my dad's helped me a lot and understand with what to do with money and how to how to keep it and how to build it and he's he's done a lot of rental property since he was 18 years old he's been you know he's consistently bought since he was 18 years old and then he's also has money in the money market and you know a lot of different things and i've just been able to bounce off of that and learn from learn from that and he's taught me a lot and i feel like even if you know in a few years if i can make enough money doing this that even if this doesn't work out or i don't or i get booted or let's say i you know, I'm out there 24 seven. I want to, you know, step back and build a family, you know, hopefully I'll be able to do that. Like I'm not stuck, you know, doing something that I don't want to do. I mean, God forbid I ever want to stop fishing, of course. But <laughs> that ain't going to happen. You never, you do never know. You know yep. Yeah. So that's what my dad's always trying to help me with is learning how to set myself up for, you know, freedom, like having freedom. Like yeah. I don't, I'm not stuck doing one thing. Yeah. I can, I can, do whatever I want in in the future. And that's what my dad has helped teach me a lot of. So don't ever let that go. No, don't ever let that like freedom, like that, that, that just that mindset go. Uh, Cause you could find yourself trapped in a drop ceiling building with fluorescent lights. And uh, you know, for some people that's their definition of happiness, but it's definitely not mine. I know it's not Pete's and it doesn't sound like it's yours either. So uh, but it sounds like you're grateful, man. And 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 I'm not going to quote the show I heard this on, but I've been recently, you know, binge watching a show and somebody, a guest said, you know, if you're not grateful for anything, then you can never be happy. Um, and, and it sounds like you're extremely grateful for your family and providing the opportunities. And uh, that's that that humbleness will go a long way uh, inside and outside the fishing industry because everything is relationship based. And so um I'm really, I'm really happy that, you know, we're, we're talking to somebody who's grateful for what they have. So, and, and have, you know, having that opportunity with the fam, you know, your family to be able to provide that is awesome. I'm going to ask a little bit of a, a hard question and I'm sure you've heard all the grumblings, you know, about your family being able to provide you those opportunities, but you know, we don't get into the divisive stuff on this podcast. We don't, we don't try to bash people, but how does that feel? Have you, you I mean, you've, have you heard those rumors, you know, the daddy's money stuff, all of that stuff? How, how does that make you 
Do you feel like that downplays the accomplishments you have um, because your family made smart financial decisions were yeah. able to provide that opportunity to you? I just want folks to understand like how it feels on the person that's essentially being bullied because of an opportunity that they were provided. And like I said, if you haven't heard any of those, we don't have to go into it. Uh, but I'm just curious, you know, as you talked, it made me think about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll be completely honest with you. I mean, I've never been asked a question, you know, exactly like that, but whenever you're out there, it always, so here, let me just think how I'm going to phrase this the best. So no one's ever going to turn down this. That's one thing. It doesn't matter who you put in my situation. They're never going to turn down this opportunity. Number one. Number two, I've really, this is going to come off a little, little off, but like you can ask everybody I'm around in the opens and it's one thing I'm known for. I don't think you're going to find someone with the same opportunity that I have that works as hard as I do on the water. And that's one thing that my dad always told me is never let anybody say they outworked you. So yes, they might not have the opportunity. They might have more opportunities or however it may be, but never let them outwork you. Never let the person in the camper beside you. Never let the person in the room beside you or standing next to you outwork you. And that's one thing my dad's taught me. He said, if you always outwork everybody next to you, you'll always come out on top. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and I know why Pete brought that up because we see it all the time, you know, whether or not it's on our community page, which those people end up getting booted or somebody, you know, catches a six pound bass and it's their PB or whatever the case may be. And there's so much negativity and, and just envy that somebody is doing well, right? So we bring that up because, you know, mental resiliency is, is a huge piece of any profession, uh, I think. And so when you, when you get those negative crowds, like saying those things or whatever, I get it all the time, man, trust me, I've gotten blasted. Uh, but you know, that's something that like you look at and be like, you know what? I ignore it or it's going to make me even compete. It's going to make me uh, work harder or compete harder. Uh, but I think the message to send everybody, you know, at least from our position is like, if you're just happy for everyone for their, for what they're doing, like it's going to be a far better place. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, you can let that jealousness, jealousness and stuff like that happen. Like on the water when I beat your face in, cause I whooped <laughs> you in a tournament. Uh, but that should just inspire you to work harder. Um, you know, those, so those social media trolls are all over the place, but I'm glad you brought that up because that, you know, we get it all the time, man. Yeah. That just made me think of it when he was talking about, you know, your family being able to afford you that opportunity and that it, I, I push that stuff out when I hear it, but I remember hearing some of those grumblings after the, about you and a few other of the young guns that qualified this year and, you know, think, you know, rumors flying around all of that, that, that were completely unnecessary and, and kind of took away from the accomplishment. Um, from somebody looking in and, and I just wanted the, you know, our listeners and viewers to be able to see, like, just, uh, you nailed it. Like the best way you said it was nobody would pass that opportunity. You're a hundred percent right. If anybody fishes or does anything and, and that, when that opportunity was presented to them and they'd say they wouldn't take it, they're bold fake <laughs> lying to you. I think Kyle, <laughs> I think Kyle Welcher said it best. Like they haven't seen that money yet. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and Shaw Grigsby brought it up uh, a couple episodes ago. If you haven't listened to that and you like Shaw, I don't know who couldn't like Shaw, but uh, he put it. He would he would get super jealous because Denny Brower would be in the parking lot before he pulled in, and he'd be there after he pulled out, and he'd be like, "Dang!" And you're right, he was outworking him, man. He was outworking him. So, um, 
I was going to move into 2023 season. So well, no, here, before we do okay. that, I want to I want to talk right. about the classic. All right. Before classic. we talk about like the look ahead and all of that. So, you know, you fit, you've obviously fished some big tournaments. You, you know, you fish the opens, you've won one. Anybody that fishes bass fishes, whether they tournament fish, if they're never going to tournament fish, every single one of us has fished in a Bassmaster Classic in our own head somewhere, right? Like it's, it's every bass angler's dream is, is to walk across that stage. Just can you put into words the feeling of all of that from like the anglers meetings and the practice and then really like what were you feeling that morning of blast off? When you see, you know, you're like, man, this is the classic and Mercer's up there now and then all of that's going on. Uh, you know, how, how does that feel? Make our listeners feel the way you felt. <laughs> so I remember like there's a thousand different things running through your head that morning. And the second you wake up, you know, whether you slept or not, you know, you wake up a little bit early, you get out there. And then they come pick you up in the shuttle and then you're talking to everybody and then all the anticipation just slowly builds and you get in your parking lot, you and then where all your boats are parked and you look across, you see all your anglers you've dreamed about fishing against your entire life. And then they back you know, you back your truck up or actually I think they backed their truck up to my boat and then carried me to the boat ramp in their in their truck. And that entire time you're just it, it all just feels surreal. And they back you in, you're idling to the dock, and you just see everybody around you that you dreamed of being a part of, and you're there. And then you pull up to the dock, and then there's thousands of people lined up down the river, you know, cheering everybody on, but it, it truly feels like they're cheering you on. And then you see your family, they come down to the dock one at a time, you you go up there, you talk to all your buddies, in the, you know, and then it's just, it's just like this surreal moment where, you it, it's like this collection of you made it like you don't even think about the tournament when you're looking at all that you're not thinking about you're going like where you're going to catch a bass in the next few minutes like for a for a split second you're you're seeing all the people you're seeing you know all the work you've done it's like almost like you're reliving flashbacks of like ever since when you started to get to this point and then all of a sudden you you know they start calling out numbers you get in the boat you start idling and then he calls your name. And the second he calls your name, every bit of that shuts down. And it's just another tournament. It's just another tournament. You sit down at your first spot. It feels like just like any other Saturday tournament. You're a little more pressure. But, you know, if you've done your prep. Completely surreal. But it's funny how everything completely disappears the second a rod Now, is that feeling exactly the same on day one when you're going to weigh in? Yeah, so it's everything's exactly the same until the fishing is stopping. Like okay. it's just like before blast off. The second you park your boat, it all starts coming back again. You know, you're, you're grabbing your fish and then you're waiting and then all these kids come up to you, you're signing shirts, you're, they're helping clean your boat before you go into the stadium. You know, the anticipation builds and builds and builds and builds until you're right before the curtain and then they pull it back the curtain, your music starts playing, he starts calling you out, listing your achievements, everybody's screaming, the, the stadium's packed, it all just disappears. Like it, it's weird how everything like you don't even get you don't appreciate it in the moment everything just disappears and you're just overwhelmed, and then 
it's, it kind of comes back to you when you're talking and then you kind of relive a little bit while you're talking, you know, thanking your families, your sponsors and everything. And then it all just settles in right afterwards. And it's just, it's a surreal tournament that there's no other tournament in the world like it and there never will be. And I'm just super happy to be there and I can't wait to get back there again. Gosh, I mean, we even felt it just being at the Classic this year. It was my first Classic. I know Pete's been to many Classics before then, but like there is this, um, it's like you're on a different planet when everyone is, it's just, it's like the space shuttle just yeah. blasted off or landed. There's a palpable energy uh, that's different than, than that's a great your, word than your normal tournament. Just the, the anticipation and, and, he, and anybody as an angler has to think about that. And I, you know, I have to say, I think that's a whole new level of mental fortitude because I don't know that when I, they call my name and number and I sat down on my first spot, if I could not think I'm about to make a class, a cast <laughs> in the Bassmaster Classic. <laughs> All right. So I got to ask the question though. All right. So the night before the classic, were you really conscious about what you ate? <laughs> no, I've never been a person who really thinks about like that type of stuff. It's just. I really don't even remember the night before the classic and how everything went down and everything, but I don't remember there being any conscious decisions or anything like that. It was just another, another afternoon. You know, it's a lot of anticipation, talking to buddies yeah. and stuff like that. So, not really. When, when when you when you reach the age of thirty nine, there's things that you got to be careful that you eat. And so for me, if I was there last year in a boat, I would be like, well, I definitely can't eat hot wings before I blast <laughs> off the next morning. Or this might come, I might have to go over to G man and ask him for some of his wipes. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, man, that, that, that's a, man, I just, that's a, that's an awesome experience. Uh, I think that, and that was a really good, you painted the picture really yeah. well. Now we're going to talk, I want to talk through 2023 and, and fishing yeah. all nine and qualifying, but do you feel like, having that experience at the classic, seeing all those folks you've always wanted to fish again. Do you think you'll get those same feelings at your first elite series event when, when you're, you're there for blast off that morning, getting ready to go and you'll have kind of another one of those, I made it moments. I honestly feel like it'll be a little more. Mm. I, now I don't know if the, there's not going to be the people, you know, there, there's not gonna be people who are cheering you on. There's not gonna be the big stadium, but it's, all those flashbacks and stuff like that, I think are going to be even stronger because how much work it takes to get to the elite series. Like I was kind of lucky and was able to win a tournament pretty early on. So it wasn't quite as much as nine tournaments straight grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding, especially after missing it by one spot, the two previous years in a row. Yeah. I feel like it's going to mean so much more for me making the elites and being there in that first tournament and knowing that everything that I've waited for, everything that I've missed, missed by just a little bit and thought the world was ending. Now I'm here. Now it's time to make it, make it happen. Yeah. So that junior and senior year of high school, bye bye. Cause we're going well, and, to and, the elites. And, and like I you love described, it. Like missing by one, you know, one place, the two previous years, you know, you, you, you had an opportunity to build that scar tissue and, and that helps build that mental fortitude we talk about, the ability to push some of that out because you realize, hey, I didn't make it last year. I got next year. I didn't make it again. I got next year. Like it's not going away, but you're able to you're able to overcome, you know, those failures a little bit more. And we're all gonna have those failures, uh, or we didn't take any chances. If you if you live your life and you never failed, then I don't think you lived much of a life in my mm -hmm. opinion, because you never, you know, you never took a risk. Um, and without risk, there's there's no failure, and without failure, 
we really don't learn anything as humans. Um, but before we go into the 2023 season, real quick, I just need to shout out one of our partners, Carolina Waters. Uh, for everybody who's getting ready to fish your 2024 year, make sure you head to carolinawatersnc.com. Use the code, the one cast, all one word at checkout, save 20% off. Uh, the new hoodies are in, super comfortable. I've been rocking them since the, since I got mine. Uh, they've got the hats. They've got the UPS wear. We talked about it with Hal and Shaw about how important it is to protect your skin. Um, and, and most old bass anglers you meet, if you talk to them, they're going to talk about either them or somebody they know, you know, having a run in with skin cancer just from all the time out on the water. So make sure you head to carolinawatersnc.com. Get yourself some UPF gear. Keep yourself protected. Uh, use the code, the one cast, all one word at checkout to save 20%. Uh, and this has come out after Raleigh, so I'm not going to say anymore. But 2023, <laughs> uh, so 2023, like you said, you want, you know, you're able to win a tournament pretty early and you pretty much, I don't want to say you coasted, but you pretty much led, you know, the, the points for the, for the, the year, if I remember correctly, it's, it's going back. There's so much information in my head. Um, did you, did you feel more confident coming in this year, given how close you were the last two years? And now, you know, it was so, so for those that don't know real quick, previously he's talking 2021 and then the 2022 season, you had to be top three in one of the divisions, so across three tournaments. Um, that changed in 2023. We talked about it early on in, in the podcast history where you now had to fish all nine and they take the top nine in those points. Um, so did you feel like, giving your experience fishing, you know, you said you fish one division, then two, and then all nine, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong. But do you do you feel like being that close, were you feeling pretty confident coming in that you could – you could perform well needing to be in that top nine across nine tournaments versus trying to squeeze into a, a three, a top three across three tournaments. Cause that's a lot more pressure when you're talking three tournaments and needing to be in the top three. Yeah. So in one way, yes, but another way, no. So like there was three events, there was three people that could have qualified through all nine the year before. And, but there was only, you know, I think 20, 21 anglers that fished all nine. So that's mm -hmm. 10, one into seven chance. Then you go to this year, it was 167, and then there was nine nine chances. So you divide it by nine, that's a one in, what, 18, I yeah, think? One, about one in 18, yep. Yes, yeah, so one in 18, that's a lot That's a lot worse, you know, stat. Like, honestly, yeah. <laughs> in, like one in seven versus one in 18 is a, is a lot different. So in that way, I was like, you know, it's going to be even tougher. You know, a lot of people are going to come back, a lot of people are going to step in at their game, and... You know, it's going to be a brutal, a brutal year. But in another way, I was, I was super ready. Like I was, I was, I felt like I was in school the last three years and now, now I'm finally in the field. Okay. Like the last few years, it was never meant to be for me to make the elites before. I, I knew it. I knew if I did make the elites, it would be a struggle to stay. And I wasn't mature enough. I, I didn't know enough about the industry. I didn't know enough about myself to be able to go out there and do it. And the, when I qual now that I qualified now, I just feel like a lot better angler. And going into the year, I knew I was a lot better angler and I have a lot of better chance if things went right and things just happened to go really right. Yeah, they, they went definitely right. I mean, you basically have a bachelor's degree in professional bass angling now because of all your training and everything. And it's pretty amazing to see that, man. So, you know, with the, and so of the 167, like, yeah, you may have a one in 18 chance. But out of those 167, how many of them been fishing as much as you have or 
as consistent as you have. Do you think that, well, it's a two-part question, but I guess really the real question here is, do you think that of the 167, a lot of them were burned out over those, those nine tournament periods and, and were unfamiliar with managing fish over a three-day period? Or like, what is your take on that? Did it help your chances? I really don't like if you look at the stats, I don't see it ever helping. Like it was a 40 gosh, I think it was a 42nd place average this year to make the elites, you know, ninth place. Yeah. 42nd. Yep. In previous years, I believe it was a 42nd ranging to like a, I think a 38. So really it took the same amount of, you know, points to qualify. Now the top three in the, opens were vastly different than the previous years like i don't think i don't think the records that were held this year for the top three anglers will ever be broken again you know for average tournament finish, finish finishes but like whenever you're talking about like just qualifying barely skinning skimming by you know i don't really think that it was it was much easier or much harder yeah okay i think that there was a huge step up in competition though this year. Like I, I really do think like cutting a check this year compared to cutting a check last year is not even remotely the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at a lot of people that are, you know, they're great anglers and they came from great, great circuits and they were supposed to make it, you know, they struggled and that should just go to show you, goes to show you how much, you know, the, opens improved over the last few years and how how strong of an angler base it has mm-hmm. like i would i would have to say if you took every single year you took the top top 25 elite series guys and put them against the top 25 opens guys i'd be hard tailed to say at the end of the nine tournaments there wouldn't be just as many opens guys in the top 10 in the points you know 25 versus 25 and top those 50 anglers go to compete in the top 10 of all those anglers at the internet events, I would say there'd be just as many opens guys as there are elite guys. Yeah. I really don't see there being a huge competition gap there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, oh, go ahead. But I don't know. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I'm, we, we say it all the time that uh, not that it's easy in either, but I feel like your chances are, are better at winning an, uh, an elite series event when you're at that level than they are an opens event because opens events – 200 and some boats you get all of the local you know local guys that are fishing you get you get all there's a it's just a whole different level of competition and you get multiple bbt guys you get multiple yeah. elite guys like in an average open tournament you have 20 locals five elite guys maybe five bbt guys and 50 hungry eq guys yeah hungry i mean it goes without saying like you make it through the meat grinder like you did in the opens, you deserve to be and, where you're at. And man. I fully agree with you. The top three were imp- were impressive this year, but I don't. It's going to be hard to surpass the performance you had in all nine. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you only had one finish outside of the top twenty five. Is that correct? I had two technically. In a okay. way, I had, so like the way. I had Toledo Bend, which was like a 35th, and then I had one tournament that was a a 48th. I only had one one tournament out of the money. I'll say that. Yeah. I know that for a fact. So that was one tournament out of the money, and I had five top 10s and an 11th. 
So basically six six tournaments that were top tens. Man. And my average finish was a sixteenth place finish. That's yeah, good luck beating that. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> unbelievable. So when you looked back at the twenty like when you were looking at the twenty twenty three schedule across the nine derbies. I think Derby's like a northern thing. I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan, so we always say Derby. Uh, but anyhow, um, when you're when you're in 2022, going into 2023, when you were looking at the nine tournaments, which one were you were you most concerned with? That you're like, man, this one's not going to be a a good one for me. And did it play out that way? I mean, obviously, you, they were all good for the most part. My scariest one was Wheeler, Alabama, period. That is the scariest one for, I mean, even if you're a Wheeler guru, that's a scary tournament because if you get a bad boat draw there, it's not a good, it's not a good event usually. Like, I would love to see the stats for, out of the top 10, who had a boat draw 25 or better? Who was first 25 to go out one of the days in the top 10? So, that was one of the scariest ones because it's all boat draw related. And I don't know how, but I even, I got like the worst boat draw in the entire field. I think I got 118 or 110. So I never got in a starting spot either day. I got to watch it go down two days in a row, basically. I watched the one guy the first morning catch a five, two fives and a three right in front of me. Never even got to catch one. Then day two, I know the guy that I pulled up and saw him start there. He caught 21 pounds and had the biggest bag of day two. Yeah. So two days in a row, I never got to catch one, but I ended up finishing 11th there <laughs> because I had a really good late in the day deal on late spawners. Like, so you couldn't see them. I knew they were there. So what you're saying is you're super excited to go back in your first elite season to, to wheel early. <laughs> I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> well what what was it that, so, did that just fish really small because of the ledges that's what, and stuff that's what i was gonna say explain shoals? to the listeners who may not know why boat draw at wheeler is so important so i mean not everybody knows this it's more like when you get to the top level everybody knows it but like there's probably 15 spots on all of lake wheeler that have a really good morning bite like when I'm talking about really good morning, but I mean pulling up and having a shot at 20 pounds, probably about 15, maybe 20 that are actually good at firing every morning. And then you got, and then it's a very popular deal. I mean, I don't know how many tournaments we've seen dominated doing it. We, we watched Takahiro Mori catch them and we watched a couple other people doing it and everybody knows about it. So when you got everybody knowing about 15 spots, it's a literal <laughs> boat race every single time. And some places can fit two boats, some places you can fit three some place you can fit one. So usually the top 50 boats, they're pulling up on something that's money. And then the rest after that, you're scrambling. Just get in line. Yeah, get in line. Just get in line. So, I mean, we saw, you know, we all saw it on socials. I mean, Milliken cracked them in the face doing something. Um, did you see any altercations or anything like that on that body of water during that tournament? You know, I never really saw altercations. I mean... I even had, you know, words with people. Now, it ne- never got hostile or nothing, but I was like, hey, can I pull up in here? And, you know, wasn't able to, and I, I left. Mm. And I think a lot of people had that ha- happen. Like, you know, it's all boat draw based. Yeah. So, but, you know, luckily enough for me, I had a really good late in the day bite that got better the later it got. And that, I spent a lot of my practice trying to do that. 
but that's typically not how that place goes. So okay. I'm not really excited about it this year, but also in one hand, if that deal goes down again, I, I could see a, another really good event happening. It's, pretty, it's fairly Georgia. close to the same, I believe. I don't care if we fish the Sabine River, June, yeah. the entire Elite Series. If I'm on the Elite Series, I'm excited, so it doesn't <laughs> matter. Uh, but so – uh, and and I and I'll I wanted to ask what you were most um, excited about for the 2023 season. So you Wheeler was like eh, I don't know about this one, even though I placed 11th, uh, or you placed 11th. What about what was your favorite one? What were you looking forward to most? St. Lawrence River and Harris Chain. Those were my two favorite events throughout the entire year that I was looking forward to. I I really had a good shot at winning St. Lawrence River and I had some technical difficulties that you know I ended up losing two and a half three no I lost three hours on day three trying to get my, my stuff fixed and then day two I had to drive 45 50 miles an hour all day all the way down to the mouth which is an hour and a half run alone without you know some issues so I definitely had a good shot there I, I missed one big opportunity that would have put me up another two pounds and then I think a lot of the, you know, issues that I have, you know, cost me a lot of time. But, you know, that was one event I was really looking forward to that I took advantage of. And Harris, you know, I was really looking forward to one thing, and it was blown out when I got there, the one pattern that I was really wanting to do. So I had to completely scrap it, so I never really got to try it. But hopefully next year at Harris I can I can go catch him. I like it, man. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you so now let's <laughs> let's look at 2024, your rookie year on the Elite Series. What event are you most excited for? Because it looks like the lake, most of the lakes you've probably been to, you know, you probably have a little bit of history. Is there one that you're just like you have served on the calendar, like I'm ready, I'm ready to get there and do this thing? Um, I'm really looking forward to Harris. Really looking forward to Champlain, St. Lawrence. Those are the main ones, but um. Those are, yeah, I guess those are probably the number one. And if if I can get my deal to work, Harris, if it's late enough or early enough, whatever, if I can get it to work, you know, I could really see Harris being a huge event. But the thing is, I don't know if I can get it. I can get him to fire. It's interesting. You hear a lot of shows ask that question. It seems to me, and I'd have to go back through like dozens and dozens of shows to like capture the data, but it seems like Florida fisheries and northern fisheries are almost exclusively yeah. everyone's favorites to go go to. Is it is it because of the time of the year that the other fisheries happen, or is it because of the quality of fish or number of fish? Why do you think that is that Florida and the northern fisheries are usually everyone's favorite? You're starting to hear Texas get up there too. Like oh, the yeah, Tejas, yeah. So, like, the funny thing is, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of you are going to yell at me, argue with me, whatever, but... Let's do it. I, I will take it. Yeah. I still think Florida is one of the worst tournament bass fishing lakes in the country. Like you heard, you heard it, folks. I I if you go look at the stats, I mean Florida is consistently check weight is eleven to thirteen pounds. Yep. Go look at South Carolina. We have Santee, we have Murray, we have Hartwell. All all those places have higher weights except for Hartwell, but it's forty times more fun. You can throw a spook for nine hours out of the day and get bit for nine hours a day by 30 different spots. Thanks for telling me so, that. <laughs> like, that's just the way, you know, then you got Murray. It took what? 18 pounds a day just to make the top 50 yep. there in the elites. Santee is 
always 15 pounds a day to get a check, usually, unless you go during some crazy time of the year where they're not biting. Texas, it takes 20 pounds to cut a check at Fork. It Toledo, it's 15 pounds a day. You got Bama. I mean, we got Gunnersville. We got Wheeler. We got all these places. You got Georgia. You got Lanier. That's minimum 15 pounds to cut a check. But Florida, it doesn't matter what lake you go to, there's always check weight's going to be 12, 12 and a half pounds, 13 yeah. pounds. Well, every- the, those, uh, those Florida bass, they're just different, you know? They're fickle. Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I love, I, I love that word. And they like to all group up in one spot and 50 people cast at each other's motors to catch them. <laughs> all right. So Shaw Grigsby, you heard it. Florida is the worst place <laughs> to tournament fish, you know, it, it, but everyone has their flavor. It just seems like the guys and gals on the national side of it, you know, they really enjoy. Cause I mean, let's be honest when you go to the North, where we're from it's it's not yes it is it's easy to catch fish it's easy to catch fish it's hard to find the difference between a three and a half and a three and three quarter pound smallmouth or mix largies into a bag but traditionally speaking those fish haven't been pressured all winter and they just bite different in florida you're right uh, you get like one degree difference and they're like nah we're, we're, we're not playing today bro like it ain't gonna happen you know what i mean so They're not much better in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, I can't wait to go fishing. I'm, you know, I've been saving up for this trip to go to Okeechobee. I'm like, if unless you want to be depressed about, <laughs> they up for the summer and go to St. Lawrence and go catch 154 pounders off one hump. Yeah. Oh man, you bring, you know, you just crush my dreams, JT. Like I'm literally have Okeechobee circled. Uh, you know, it's a, de- it's a destination bucket list place, but you're absolutely right. Like I, t- I went down to St. John's river a couple years ago and I absolutely just did not catch bass. Like, I mean, I caught some, but it was like, man, I saw Greg Hackney over here in these cypress trees like a week ago and he was hammering down. It's like, nah, I'm going to catch mudfish, mudfish, alligator, mudfish. Oh, there's a bass, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then like, I don't know. I just, like, I have really good fortune. I, like, I have no reason to not like Florida at all. Like, I should love Florida. I've won a tournament there. I have a couple top tens. I've cut a lot of checks in Florida. But, like, when I go there, it is so frustrating. So, if you get two warm days in a row, the fish go from the dead center of the lake to the bank. Or, you get four degrees colder weather and every fish in the lake just dies or swims in the water. <laughs> So, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, it's, it's uh, so frustrating. Like, I, I, if your weather is not consistent, it is the, oh, it dry, I, I don't like Florida. Yeah, and that, you know, we talk, I'm glad you brought that up because we talk, you know, the F1 stocking stuff in North Carolina is a big deal where they're, they're crossing a Florida and a northern strain, first generation, and they're making this F1 hybrid, you know, largemouth. And the reason they're doing that to help bolster our fisheries is because when they do that, you get the cold weather resistance of the northern strain, but you get the feeding and the growth rates of the flu- of the Florida strain. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. And, I, and people hear that and they're like, "Oh, why don't they just put Floridas in?" That's why, because in North Carolina, in yeah. North Carolina, it'll be 40, 30, 40 degrees for the next two weeks, and then we're going to get a week where it's seventy every single day. And if you if these were Florida fish, they wouldn't know what to do. I, I'll tell you right now, I was out with uh, and if you haven't checked out Bass and Brews podcast, they're they're a funny bunch of dudes. But I was out with one of their co-hosts on Sharon Harris Reservoir the other day. You know how we had to catch them? 
we had to drop in 28 foot of water with a blade bait and just hold it still. I mean, if the, it doesn't get more boring than that, I mean, granted, catching fish is just fun in general, but you know, I felt like my neck was starting to grow another head because I'm looking at the forward facing <laughs> sonar and it's just like, so yeah, I mean, I could, I, I just wish it was a little different, but I wanted to ask you, so you're going into 2024, you got a bunch of your comrades that, that were with you, uh, fishing the EQs, you know, Milken, um, Trey McKinney, uh, I can't remember all the other guys' names, and I apologize for that. But are any of those guys? Were any of those guys in 2023? Were were they travel partners with you, or did you run? Did you roll solo? Yeah, so I'm really close with two of them. So Kyle Patrick, Tyler Williams, okay. Tyler Williams, I traveled and practiced with every or for five or five to four of the events. Pretty dedicated. You know, we worked together extremely well. And then Kyle Patrick, I'm really good buddies with him. And, you know, those are the two people that I know really close. Is that going to be the the deal going in 2024 with those guys? Yeah, I'm pretty excited to work with, you know, I think Tyler, me and Tyler are going to, you know, stay tournament, you know, partners. And then, but I'm definitely looking forward to starting that off and, you know, getting to see my friends again and everything. I just had Kyle Patrick at my house standing for a few days and we had a good time, and I'm definitely looking forward to get the season started to see everybody again, so looking forward to it. There's no doubt nobody – I mean, everybody worked hard. There's no doubt that based on what you achieved in 2023 that you worked harder. I mean, that's just what it is, right? But that being said, in 2024, whose face do you want to kick in the most <laughs> in the tournaments – it can be one person. It could be all of them. I hope it's all of them. But if there was one person, who do you want to beat the bet the most? I mean, I want to beat all of them. Honestly, <laughs> that's fair. That's what I would say. That's a good politically correct answer. I like it. I'll, I'll be honest. Like th- this class coming in, man. There, there's some potential. The the next I talked about that generational talent. There's some. There, you, you're one of those guys on that list. Like you're you're a young guy. Who's who's been built and training to do this? Trey's another guy. Trey McKinney. I met him met him a few years ago uh, at ICAST and got to talk to him for quite a bit. And the stuff that he's done at I think he's nineteen now, twenty maybe. I can't remember exactly, but stuff he's done in his career similar to your. Like there are some young guys that have have been that have trained. They have built their life because this is what they want to do, and it's going to be really exciting to see see y'all out there fishing. Uh, against you know some of all of our idols and and you know anglers we've looked up to that are still there, uh, so I'm super pumped to see see how you perform, uh, and you know to watch you out there this year. Um, so there's there's a few questions that we ask everybody that comes on uh, that that tournament fishes. Um, we we kind of just started it started it and it's always interesting yeah. to hear it came from out of nowhere. But uh, do you want to ask the first one, Trey? You asking the banana one? We can. I wasn't going to. But banana or no banana? I don't care. Oh, man. Ooh, I like. See, that's my guy. That's my guy right there. I'm the <laughs> superstitious human being you ever met in your life. You're the least, you said? Least. Like, oh. either you're going to catch them or you don't. I mean, I don't really believe in a lot of things. Like, I, there's only, like, one thing that I have that I'm, like, maybe the slightest bit. But, honestly, I could throw it in a dumpster fire and not really care much. What is, is it? my jacket. Like I've worn this life jacket in all every single major event I've had, so 
my first winning on actually one of my first tournament on Harris Chain in a Toyota series. I wore it at um Chesapeake Bay, wore it at the classic, I wore it, you know, every single tournament in the AOI season. It's just old jacket that is just old as dirt, looks terrible, but I love it. I there mean, you it's go. Just so it's, it, it's good and I like it, so but if you if you lost it and you had a you had a couple of tournaments you didn't do real well, I promise you that superstition would come. <laughs> Um, but but make it <laughs> but make us a promise here and for the for everyone if you don't think it matters i want to see you wear one of those big orange <laughs> walmart life jackets yeah I'll, like wear one of those like last yeah. event of the year just do it it'd be great well go ahead Pete. so so another question we ask everybody that fishes has one what is the the your most memorable lost fish? The one that got away that just sticks in your brain and and you think about. Honestly, the first one that popped in my mind was St. Lawrence River. I lost probably the biggest smallmouth I've ever seen in my life. And then I went to the same spot the next day and caught the big fish of the tournament, which was like six pounds, eight ounces. So what well, this one was I know this wasn't the same fish because this fish looked like it could eat that fish. It was anywhere between eight and nine to ten pounds mm. smallmouth. And it truly was one of the biggest smallmouth I think I've ever witnessed in my life. And I've caught a lot of big ones. I've caught I mean I caught the the same you know, I don't know if y'all heard the state record in Cayuga. I yeah. caught not that exact same fish. Okay. The exact same one. Like so, every single spot on it matched up and it was like 7.76 when I caught it. Hmm. So I've caught some big small mouth and this one looked, it dwarfed every small mouth I ever caught in the past. Sometimes I, I think I'm catching small mouth and I just count drum as small mouth. <laughs> so I'm like, that's the biggest small mouth ever. Things like eight pounds. All right. So reverse that. What is the most memorable fish catch that you have? Um, most memorable one was probably the one at Harris Chain. Whenever I, it was day two, AOI on the line. All I needed was catch was like a very little amount of weight and I was good. And I was struggling. I lost like three fish. And then I remember pulling up to a brush pile that I caught a lot of fish on throughout the tournament. I was like, it's going to happen here. And I waited till the right time of day. I remember like second or third cast in, I hook up with like a five pounder and I halfway back, I'm reeling them in and all of a sudden my mic cardboard gets wrapped in my reel. Like and then you see me on live, like just flinging around wires and tossing around and like move my rod to one side and the fish is jumping and I'm not even reeling because I can't reel and there's slack mm. six foot and this fish is just going haywire and I'm losing it borderline. And then finally I get it all fixed and it, I, I catch them in it. That's the fish that got me AOI. So, okay, I guess that's probably caught fish with a near miss. So, did you did you ask Bass if you could take that one home and get it mounted? <laughs> that sounds like the most stressful fish catch ever. Knowing knowing that you need that, you can see slack line. You're all tangled up. All you want to do is chuck that mic in the water. Oh, if only you would have seen what that like. If like I went back and watched the live, and they cut so much of my fish. <laughs> For such a good reason, too, because my attitude was, like, through the floor. Yeah. Because that morning, I pulled up to my best brush ball, caught a five-pounder day one, go in there, set the hook. You know, he's just sitting there shaking, head shaking. It comes up and wallers like a five-pounder and just pops off. And then mm. 
I'm like, oh, it's fine. No big deal. I just need one of those other day. Go to my next one, lose another one, like four and a half, five. Go to the next one. I, I set the hook on a brush pile. It's sitting there shaking and peeling drag. And then, you know, it finally pulls off and I get stuck in the brush pile and I have to break it off. I'm like, my entire day is falling apart around me. Like at one point, never, I've never gotten emotional in a tournament or nothing ever. Like I don't get mad. I don't get extremely happy. And I remember I missed this fish on a crankbait, and I just reel up my crankbait and just throw it in the floor. It, like, bounces almost in the water. Didn't even care. So, yeah, it was it was a rough day before that fish. So when I caught that one, oh, it was it was magical. So what, I was so happy. What did you do? Was it just catching that one that kind of pushed that out, or did you – when you ran into that situation where you were spiraling, because we've all done it, right? Like, what what is your – reset do you sit down and drink a bottle of water do you do you eat a sandwich what, what is it to try to reset and just get out of that negative headspace because it's super easy to spiral out of control so <laughs> basically what i do is like it's the stupidest cringiest silliest thing it's gonna sound so cliche or whatever but it works i always say like if i'm elite material if i'm meant to be here i will pull it back together and I just, I don't know, that just sets something off my mind. It gives me a new mindset. It, 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 it's like, hey, stupid, if you're here, if you belong here, you better, you you are able to pull this together because you're meant to be here, do it. And it, yeah. I don't know, it's, it just does, it works. No. I don't know if it's... I don't, I don't think know. it's stupid at all, man. I think you're internalizing the, the hungriness uh, and the appetite for competition and, you know, someone's going to, everyone else is going to lose except for one person. Right. Um, and, and, and you know what, and Pete talked about it earlier, like, uh, we, we fish, you know, regional events and a lot of charity events and stuff like that. But every single time we fish, at least me, it is the most important thing that I'm doing at that time. And it, and I want to put every ounce that I have into it. I don't care about anything other than challenging myself, you know? And, and so that's, that's a great way to mentally reset. And we all have our things that we do. And, and I use a lot of foul language and stuff yeah. when things aren't going my Me way. Too. It's not even healthy. I don't even know why I do it. So I now, stuff too. yeah, <laughs> you know, over a fish that we're going to throw back in the water anyways. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, it's just, everybody's different, you know? And I think that's what makes this sport so great is there is no you're kind of seeing it now with like how like social media and youtube and everyone's kind of taking more of a cookie cutter approach but that's just the business side of it same thing you can say with all other athletes out there but you really can be your own brand and own person in this sport and that's what i think makes it really special so yeah for sure i mean look i can ellie look at you know matt robertson you know, so I, I love the people that go out there and say, yo, these guys are crazy. They're off the rails. Like, no, they're just unfiltered, regular old people. Like, if you got 90% of the world at their worst moments or at moments where they think no one's watching, that's what they look like. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, how many times have you been in, like, heard locker room talk or been around your buddies and you're just completely open like these guys are just not afraid to show it like yeah. i can he's i love him one yeah. of my favorite all-time guys he i don't know why but he like 
he's one of the only people that when I was like 16 years old, I remember being at the Toyota Series Championship coming straight up to me and congratulating me. Like yeah. at 16 or 17 years old. And like, I look at him and I'm like, dude, that guy has a true passion for the sport. Yeah. And he shows it like, and I don't, I don't mind it. I love watching him. Like I love watching a person just absolutely lose it on the front deck. No shame about it. Just <laughs> full on, just breakdown. Yeah. Headbutting a console, whatever, dude. Breaking I mean, rods off the gunnel. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I love watching that. Like that just shows you how much it means to him. And that's yeah. why he's so successful. Yeah. Like some people like him, Matt Robertson, I love watching him. He's just, you know, he's the most himself out of anyone I've ever met in my life. Yeah. And if you think that's Matt Robertson being Matt Robertson on camera, I've been around him in person and that's him, dude. And he yeah. is a truly awesome person to be around. Like I've, I've been around people <laughs> and like, there's a genuine, genuine just attraction to being around that guy. And it's it's not like because he's gonna be everybody's friend. He's not gonna be your friend. He's just himself, and it's it's cool to watch. And I I wish I could have a piece of that. I wish I could have a piece of both of those guys, you know, in me. And and I don't know. There's just something about it. I I, I like the raw on this authenticity those guys give off. So. Yeah, well, we could we could go on and on on that topic because it's there's like this cookie cutter belief in how anglers are supposed to act. And when you see we've talked about it before, when you see guys that start to kind of push that envelope or, or don't act what society or whoever it is that thinks that they're supposed to act a certain way. When you see those guys start to push those limits, there's a lot of, sometimes there's a lot of negative stuff that falls them. They get kind of a bad rap, you know, ish is another one that's ish. If you meet Ish Monroe, he's Ish Monroe all the time. It doesn't matter whether you're at dinner or whether you're at a show or whether he's on the water. Ike's the same way. Like I, I've, I've got to meet him a bunch and spend some time around him. Ike is always that way. He's turned on all the time. Yeah. Um, Maddie, I know some. We have some personal friends that are that that know one another. He's hunted with and stuff, and and I, they tell me the same thing. Like, no, that's just that's Maddie. That's not that's not anything different. You know, G Man's another one. Um, those guys are themselves. Yeah, they're themselves all the time, and and it's uh, it is. I think a lot like you. I've always been drawn to those guys. You know, Ike growing up was you know always one of my favorite, and to this day continues to be one of my favorite anglers just because of that. You know, like you said, it's the passion. It's real. We can all relate to. Um, I always think back to that that clip where where he lost in the fish off. I think it was. Uh, I don't know if it was a Keith Combs or who it was to, but the phone rings and they tell him like, "Yep, hey, he he caught a uh, legal fish. Uh, it's over." And he just snaps that rod into nine pieces, <laughs> and chucks it in the water. I'm like, I feel that. I can feel that emotion. Ish Monroe when he lost that big fish and the heavy hitters on Harris, that big bed fish he fished for for. Ten day for a, a day and a half. Finally got it yeah. to eat, uh, you know, and it came off. And he was just laying on the front deck. And it's like, dude, I cried with you that losing that hundred. Like I could feel that. I and was that, there. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, yeah. Trey was cutting them guys off, catching their. No, I'm just that's right. It's my lake. Stay off. Of <laughs> no, but like you feel that that emotion. So I'm looking forward to to more camera time with you uh, because a little bit we get to see from the opens and stuff. It seems like you you know you do act yourself and. And uh, it's always refreshing to see see uh, you know the new the new anglers coming up. So yeah, uh, super excited about that. We're kind of winding down here, Trey. Do you have any uh, last questions you want to ask? Uh, I just the the last question I have, and we kind of talked about, and and I and listen like full disclaimer, like I think there's a time and place for everything. We talked about like be yourself and everything like that. 
you know, there are anglers that are very good stewards of the profession. I think everybody having their own brand and their own personality is being a good steward. Obviously, there's a lot of debate out there about everything that happened this year with like jumping sandbars or whatever and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like everyone has their own individual responsibility to build their brand. That being said, for the younger generation of anglers coming up through the collegiate series or high school or anybody, um, what would your message be to them about, because I, I see a lot of people trying to emulate someone else, right? What, what would your message be to them coming up and wanting to get into the fishing industry, whether or not it's professional bass angling or industry in general? Yeah, so I fell into it a lot. Like, I think one of the biggest things is is having letting your personality be your personality and not trying to hide it. Like, I have a really big issue with hiding my personality a ton. Like, no, I say that, but like, if you genuinely meet me on the water, I'm like, I've had my co anglers tell me a hundred times, like, I catch a four or five pounder, and like okay, like, why don't you react? Why don't you, nothing, nothing. Like, typically, I don't, I don't react. I don't get excited. Like, I'm a robot when I'm on the water. I just, I have a goal, and I'm not going to do anything until I accomplish it. I don't speak to the camera a lot. I don't do anything. And I feel like that's a big mistake that I've made that I will give to other people is you're not fishing really for you. You're fishing for the thousands and thousands of people watching you. Because they're trying to, the people that are watching you are trying to get a glimpse of what it's like to be you. And whenever they don't see you get excited, they're not going to get excited. So that true excitement you feel inside of you whenever you are fishing, whenever you're doing something expressive. Mm -hmm. Like, I've never done it. I'm a terrible, terrible spokesman for it. Like, I'm not a big, I'm not a big emotional guy. I'm not. I'm not the guy that's going to jump up, headbutt a trolling motor or break a rod or, you know, when I catch a fish, I'm not going to scream to the point where the entire lake can hear it. But that's, that's really like, that's what most of us feel inside. When we catch a fish, we feel every one of those feelings that you see some guys showing off. We feel that inside. We just suppress it. And I feel like for a lot of people coming up is, is be relatable, you know, try to show the enjoyments of being in our sport and try to be as personal as possible and get to know people and stuff like that. Don't do like, don't just dedicate yourself to the fishing and be like this, you know, silent person. Always try to be a spokesman for the sport. Try to, you know, show what it's all about and then just be more entertaining, I guess is one way. And people will gravitate towards it. Well, be positive. That's the biggest thing is positivity. Yeah, that's a hard one. That that briefs real well, but uh, you know, a lot of people, including myself, you know, they, they struggle to express. It's okay to express negativity as well uh, and frustration um, because you're not performing the way you want to perform. You're not. It, it it boils down to nothing more than that. Like it is literally, you're not performing. It's no one else's fault. It's just you're not performing. It's okay to express that. I think it's important for a lot of people to hear that because you know, uh, everybody wants to be like somebody else, but be like yourself, you know, and, and then identify, like you said, where you're weak at. Right. And so I definitely want to revisit this conversation at the end of your first 2024 season to see 
because you said yourself, you're not emotional. You don't really express yourself. So let's, when, when we come back to the show, so I'm basically inviting you back right now, let's revisit how you have adapted behavior changes for the 2024 season, knowing that there's going to be a lot more eyes on you. There's going to be cameras. Hopefully they have wireless mics so you don't get wrapped up in them <laughs> um, to see where you've grown because it's all about growing, right? Growth mindset, which does breed positivity and stuff like that. If you're constantly looking at everything as a challenge, that's really how you maintain positivity. Um, it's too easy to circle the drain negativity. So thank you for expressing that. I'll turn it over to Pete and then we'll give you an opportunity to plug everything that you want. Yeah, no, I don't have anything else, JT. I just want to say I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show with us uh, to talk about, you know, a little bit 2023 season. I think there's some really good stuff in there about the financial aspects and, and setting yourself up for the future uh, because we, we've we all heard stories or personally know folks that haven't done that uh, and, and have uh, paid the ultimate price of losing homes and families and, and vehicles and boats and, and putting themselves in a, in a hole. So being able to speak to doing something to prepare yourself, you know, a little bit of passive income, I think is super important. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of young guys and gals, a lot of young anglers that are going to look up to you and Trey and, and some of these other young guys that are coming into, uh, into the elites this year. And, uh, I think we're going to see you for a long time. Um, we're going to give you a chance here to plug, you know, any sponsors you want to. I want you to, to shout your social medias out. I'll link all your social medias down below in the description. Uh, once you're done, we'll say a little a little outro deal and then just, uh, hang, just out. hang out for a minute. We'll, we'll end the show and then we'll uh, we'll say a couple words and we'll let you get on with the rest of your evening. So now's your time to, to plug anybody you want to plug uh, and to let any potential uh, title sponsors know you're still looking. <laughs> well. You know, it's J.T. Tompkins Fishing on all platforms. We're trying to get it all changed over to J.T. Tompkins Fishing. And then, you know, really big thanks to Yamamoto Baits and the GSM Outdoors Company with CUDA, Bill Lewis, you know, all those companies. They really helped me out this year. And then FX Custom Rods, you know, they're probably the best built rods I've ever put in my hands. It's the same blanks you see in $500 rods, but in 180 to 82 you know, those little ring price ranges, same rods, same parts, same everything, and I love them. And then Outcast Tackle, got some of the best jigs on the market, got a lot of new stuff coming up. And then, you know, Skeeter Yamaha, you know, they've been, they've stepped up really big time this year, and I'm super happy to be with part of their team. You know, they're a longtime brand that's been a supporter of the sport, and I'm super proud to be with those guys. X2 Power, you know, really appreciate those guys and everybody over there. Awesome, man. Well, like Pete said, uh, hang out for just a few minutes. We're going to close this bad boy out. We appreciate you taking the time to, uh, you know, talk your, your 2023, your growing up and, and what you're looking forward to 2024. Um, Pete, you got anything else for him? No, I'm good. Awesome, man. Well, hang out for a minute. We will see you in, well, it is 2024. We'll see you uh, at the end of the season. At the end of the season, we're going to watch you all year long, and we're going to see how you help us to continue to grow a culture of anglers, helping anglers one cast at a time. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, It's a toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day.